Hi, welcome back to The Horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay. And here we are. We've arrived at Raw, everybody! Part three of three of Cannibal Power Hour. The one that Elise was the least excited for, but did you like it? I did like it. I think because I spoiled most things for myself, so I wouldn't be traumatized. I think that I guess it did its trick and I could sit through it and the graphicness of it wasn't too much. It really wasn't as bad as I remember it being when I first watched it when it first came out. It's also pretty fast. Like nothing really lingers for too long. Just the one part, which we'll talk about. I could handle it. I could handle it. And especially because I knew, obviously, that there were some broader metaphors at play. I think that gave me a lot to think about and consider. But I did like it. I do feel very accomplished for having watched it for episode 50. Yes, (laughs) I think this is a very good one to be our 50th fucking episode. Definitely a milestone for me and for the podcast. For us. Yes, for all of us. Should we just jump right in? Let's do it. Of course, we're talking about Raw today. This little tidbit is from Wikipedia. Raw is a 2016 coming-of-age horror drama film written and directed by Julia DeCorno. At the 2021 Cannes Film Festival, she actually won a Palme d'Or for her film Titan, which also stars our Lady Garance Marie, also named Justine in that movie, just like we'll see in Raw, which I think is really interesting. And that makes Julia the second female director to win the award, as well as the first to win the award solo. So DeCorno is up and coming, well, established, but also so young. I'm sure she'll continue to do awesome stuff. She additionally received a nomination for the Best Director at the 75th British Academy Film Awards, which again, another example of the British Academy Film Awards showing up for the horror genre. The last was St. Maud, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Julia DeCorno's films typically fall under the body horror genre. I did read that she's a big fan of Cronenberg, who is a horror director that's very well known for body horror. So it makes sense. So to our ladies, I'll introduce them. I already mentioned Garance Marie as Justine. She's in a lot of French stuff. And fun fact, I thought this was interesting. Of the 11 movies she's been in, she's been a character named Justine in three of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ella Rumpf is our other main character named Alexia. She's also in a lot of French stuff. And I recognized Succession from her television role. So mm. she was in an episode of that. Then we have Joanna Priest as the mother of Justine and Alexia, and she's in French stuff. She's also a musician. And then Marianne Verneau is a nurse that we see for a brief period of time. She's a director and a writer. So I thought it was cool. There were a lot of different professions in the arts kind of represented in this tiny cast of women, which I thought was neat. Some pre-movie trivia... I wrote, this shit is gory, right? This is all from IMDb, as usual. Due to the graphic nature of the film, ushers at the New Art Theater in Los Angeles were handing moviegoers custom-made vomit bags. At a screening at Gothenburg Film Festival, several attendants in the audience fainted and vomited. Over 30 people left the cinema prematurely, and they had to take a break in the middle of the movie due to all the turmoil. (laughs) Fucking wimps. So, I mean, imagine you're me. You know, (laughs) this is what I read before watching the movie. So I'm like fully terrified at this point. But writer-director Julia DeCornu has rejected people classifying the film as a horror movie, as while her intent was to disturb, it is not to scare. Instead, she views her work as a mix of comedy, (laughs) okay, drama, teen movie, and body horror. 
Yeah, but it's like that whole like, not all rhombuses are squares, but all squares are rhombuses. Like that thing, it's just like, <laughs> like not all horror is body horror, but all body horror is horror. Yeah. I definitely think it is horrifying. Yeah. But I could see how, I mean, it's not like you're seeing any jump scares in this movie. Traditionally, if I think of the horror genre, I think of, oh God, where's the jump scare going to be? But we didn't get any of those. Nah, it's a slow burn. In terms of the inspiration for the film, DeCorno began working on it in 2012 as a writing challenge. The challenge being, could she get us to feel empathy for someone who we would ordinarily view as a monster? And this is quoting her, I thought it was very funny how people tend to qualify as monstrous or inhuman deeds that are actually very human. Cannibalism is part of humanity. Some tribes do it ritually and have no shame doing it. You have this feeling when you bite someone's arm for fun and you want to go a bit further, but you don't because you have a moral canvas. This thing is in us. We just don't want to see it. So I thought, since my characters always feel like monsters deep inside, I want the audience to feel like a monster as well and to understand what she's doing because we are all monsters, really. Wow. She just called us out. (laughs) I mean, I think she puts a name to, I don't know, like the morbid curiosity or the... What are they called? Like intrusive thoughts mm. sometimes where it's like, what if I just did? I'm like, what if I just did this? And it's just <laughs> like, so I mean, like, I guess, like, sure. But I definitely think Justine's story is one of deprivation to indulgence rather than a slow accumulation of interest and experimentation. And that's largely in part due to her parents, but we'll get into that. So we open with a car crash. We see a car driving down a very mountainous road. I'm assuming this is somewhere in France. Don't know where. (laughs) But we just see a car crash into a tree. And we see a girl laying in the road. And we assume like, oh, no, was she struck by this car? But the girl on the road stands up and approaches the car crash. So we're like, oh, okay. Like, did you survive or did you cause this accident? What's going on? But then we cut to a scene with our main girl, Justine, eating mashed potatoes at some sort of restaurant diner situation. And as she's eating them, she spits out a piece of meat that had accidentally been in her potatoes. And her mom throws a fit. She's not happy about this. She's like, you could have eaten that. Did you bite into it? And she's like, no, no, I didn't. So you could tell that Justine is a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And so is her family. And they're very avid about that and do not like eating meat. Mm -mm. Away from the restaurant, we arrive at a college. So we can see that Justine is being dropped off at college. Her parents remark that it looks shabbier. So perhaps this is where they also went to school. There's some dialogue. Her sister, Alexia, who's maybe a year or so older, was supposed to be there when Justine was dropped off, but she's not around. So her parents end up just dropping her off in the parking lot. And Justine is alone with one suitcase. I had said this to Elise while we were watching. I'm like, can you imagine your parents just dropping you off in like an unmarked parking lot with one suitcase to your name? And like, good luck, kid. I was like, no Bama Rush here, folks. Nope. I was like, those motherfuckers be bringing like new furniture to college. And she has a single suitcase. It's a lonely feeling, right? It's a lonely feeling. But here she is. So we cut to nighttime. She is trying to sleep, but there is ruckus in the dorm. So her door opens and this guy enters and she's just like, who are you? (laughs) And his name is Adrian. He's like, I'm your roommate. And she's like, well, I asked for a girl. And he's like, well, you got a F slur for gay people. So (laughs) Adrian is gay and Mm -hmm. is Justine's roommate. Adrian and Justine are 
forced out of their bedroom in their PJs while their room is raided by presumably a bunch of upperclassmen in masks. They are throwing mattresses out the window. Mm-hmm. They are hurting all of the presumably first-year students into a different part of the building as part of a hazing ritual. They have to get into an elevator, and then they are crawling in, like, the basement somewhere. Mm -hmm. But then they are being ushered into what appears to be, like, a club rave-type setting. And I guess it's, like, a homecoming party of sorts, an after-hours PJ party. Yes, it's, like, a super secret club in, like, a basement. (laughs) (laughs) But the music slaps. And there's a bunch of butts. There's a bunch of boobs. Yep. And as Justine is navigating the crowds, she finds her sister, Alex. They greet. This is the first time they've seen each other since Justine has arrived. There's this line. Alex asks, is my thong out of my shorts? And Justine is like, no, you're fine. And Alex goes, I see mom got to you. (laughs) Seems like she wants her thong to be out of her shorts, which, (laughs) all right, let's do it. Now, the sisters, I guess, have left the party. They're somewhere else in this underground area. And they're looking at old pictures of previous classes of students to have gone through the school. And they find their parents. Yes, and this is a veterinary college. And the pictures depict the freshman class is covered in blood, which I Mm. guess is part of the hazing or welcoming ritual. They are dumped with animal blood, very Carrie style. Yeah. Right before they take their class photo and they do see their parents. So they met presumably here and both went on to be veterinarians. And now both daughters are doing the same. So Justine finally stumbles to bed at dawn. She's had a long night partying. And the next scene we see is a horse being tranquilized and intubated. I don't know exactly what the procedure is, but they're just kind of witnessing something for class. It's uncomfortable to watch. Part of me thinks this has to do with the realities of dealing with bodies and, you know, it's not all glamour and it's like not because you love animals or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because like we don't really see Justine have an affection for animals. You would assume that people who go to vet school like do so for their own interests or love of animals, but it almost begins to feel like she's doing this out of expectation because it's Mm. what her family wants her to do, even though she is very smart and she proves that very shortly. But first, we see the freshman doused with blood for the photo, just as she knew was going to happen. There's a rush week speech of sorts, kind of welcoming them all. But then the last part of the day, all of the freshmen have to eat a raw rabbit kidney. Yeah. And there's like a massive line just waiting for their turn. When Justine gets to the front, she originally says no. She says, I'm a vegetarian. I can't eat this. Alex shows up and Alex pressures her into eating the kidney. She's like, you don't want to look like an outsider. Everyone else is doing it. You're fine. So Justine eats the kidney. And Adrian is around. He's nice. He kind of sticks with her for a little bit to make sure she doesn't get sick. We had seen other people getting sick previously. I think that would be very common. Appropriate. Yes. But she doesn't. And that's the end of that. Class time. She's still fucking covered in blood. And she's starting to itch. And also her professor looks like Albert Einstein. She takes her work to him and he says one mistake already. And he tells her it's a bad start. So she's already making mistakes in class. Especially because she has a reputation to uphold. Again, talking about this familial pressure. Assumedly, Alexia is very smart. So she's kind of living in that shadow. We get a scene of a horse running on a treadmill, which is very weird. 
I think it's to represent that Justine's just trying to keep up with Mm, all of these appearances and she's kind of like getting tired. She's being tested. Yeah. But then we see Justine in the nurse's station. She says she's feeling nauseous. Her skin is peeling. It's awful. Her skin rash is crazy. Yeah. The nurse is peeling some layers of her skin off. This is where she reveals she's a virgin to rule out that it's any sexual thing. The nurse says it's food poisoning. And then what's the story that she tells about this fat girl, quote unquote, that she saw? Yeah, really weird scene. The nurse is talking to Justine about a former student who had come to her. And when the nurse drew blood for a test, the girl was so overwhelmed with gratitude because she had been to previous doctors who told her she was too overweight for them to perform tests on her. And the nurse made some kind of connection about this young woman was made to feel that she was unworthy of medical attention. And she somehow compared that to Justine. Was it because maybe Justine waited too long to go get help for her itching in the rash? Or maybe she could tell that Justine was feeling isolated or embarrassed? I'm not sure. Maybe it's even the fact that the rash is so pronounced that it's almost showing how different she is. Because she calls it food poisoning. And if that were the case, everybody would have this rash, right? So maybe she's talking about how maybe this rash has something to do with anxiety or just because she feels alone doesn't necessarily mean that she actually is. Yeah. Like something like that. That's a good point, yeah. The nurse is... She seems like she's meant to be a good presence. Mm -hmm. So whatever advice she tries to give Justine, I think that it doesn't really work. (laughs) So later, Justine is walking through the halls to class, but she's tagged for not wearing the right thing. I guess the dress code that day was nightclub. She is certainly not wearing traditional nightclub garb. She's wearing I'm going to class at vet school garb. So then she's forced to wear a diaper as like a hazing punishment. So later that night, Justine is in Alexia's dorm trying on Alexia's clothes because Alexia doesn't want her little sister to be like this weirdo, doesn't want her to not fit in. Yeah, that's embarrassing. (laughs) So Justine is trying things on and is just feeling very reluctant to feel as though she has to even like do these things. Her sister gives her this blue dress that isn't very fitting and isn't very flattering But Alexia just kind of loses her temper and kicks Justine out after giving her some heels and a dress. So Jay stumbles home and she finds her mattress outside in a pile of other mattresses from the night before. She finally lugs it upstairs. And as she tries to enter her dorm room, she sees Adrian, I guess, standing in the common area getting head from somebody. So she has to shut the door. She can't even get back into her room yet. So later, Adrian and Justine go to get dinner. And there's an interesting shot. They're standing in line in front of like two different trays of foods and they both mirror the same actions. But Adrian is grabbing like a burger patty and Justine is grabbing from the veggie selection. But she quickly, without Adrian noticing at first, grabs a patty with her bare hands and sticks it in her pocket. So they get to the cashier and the cashier is like looking at her grease soaked pockets like, well, you're going to have to pay for that. I have to look at it to see what it is. I mean, <laughs> you can carry it however you want, but like, you're just going to have to pay for it. So Adrian tries to cover her. He's like, oh, you don't have the money? Like, I can pay for you. Like, what's your deal? But Justine is embarrassed and pays for it, but then tosses it in the trash can on their way to go sit down. 
later we see Justine and Adrian on a bus going off campus somewhere. And this is where Justine witnesses the aftermath of that car crash we saw in the beginning. She sees the dead body. She, you know, is looking very intrigued at the body. So they get to the gas station and Justine is eating meat. Shawarma, like beef. I don't know exactly Mm -hmm. what it was. But then there's like a creepy trucker that comes and tries to pick up Adrian and also takes note to how hungry Justine looks like, oh, they don't feed you up at that vet school. Just kind of showing how desperate Justine is to indulge after that initial experience with the rabbit kidney, which is so interesting because it made her so sick. Yes, that is really interesting. Like, I thought this transition was a little quick. Like, there wasn't pleasure associated with that. Yes. So what was it about that burger patty? And part of me thought maybe it had to do with Adrian, because when we see Adrian shut the door after he's getting head to lock Justine out, Justine stands by the door and listens to Adrian's, like, moans. And you could tell that she's taking an interest to him, even though he's gay. Was it like that he was into the burger patties and was trying to mirror his desires? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That could make sense because later we can see her cravings are very much in line with her sexual appetite as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is where it starts. Later that night, Justine is rummaging around in the refrigerator and Adrian comes out and sees her and is like, what's up? And she's like, I'm just looking for a snack. I'm going to eat cereal. He's like, cereal is up there. And she's like, I need milk. Leave me alone. So he does. But then we get a shot of Justine eating a hunk of raw chicken breast, which I read was actually made out of sugar. Oh, really? Yeah. That's sweet. (laughs) I think this is intercut too with Justine being accused of cheating by Mr. Einstein. (laughs) Um, And she's nervously eating her hair. Like Mm -hmm. she's chewing on her hair. You could tell it's like a nervous habit that she has, even though it's the first time we see her doing it. And Mr. Einstein does something interesting where he says, you know, you have a family that is proud that you're here and you have a legacy to uphold. Adrian doesn't have anything. This is his only shot. So tell me like who cheated off who? And I think this was his way of saying, like, just take the bullet, because if he gets accused of cheating, like, he's out of here. But if you do, your reputation will be hurt, but it's not like you're going anywhere. But she still blames him for cheating off of her, which I think was the case, truthfully. I don't even know if we got a scene of that cheating taking place. Do you remember? Well, I remember when that initial test happened where she finished first, like Adrian was trying to look at her paper and she was covering it up, but I don't Mm -hmm. know how successful it was. Okay. But then we see her vomiting up chunks and chunks and chunks of her hair after she tells on Adrian, essentially. But we don't really see a fallout from her telling on Adrian. Like, Adrian doesn't get in trouble, I don't think. No, I guess this is maybe supposed to illustrate something in her is slipping. She's not performing as well, or she's starting to make poor decisions, regardless of what they are. So yeah, after that vomiting scene, which goes on a really long time, she comes out of the stall and there's another classmate of hers that's like, if you just use two fingers, it makes it a lot easier. As if suggesting that unfortunately, like many people experience, especially, you know, in college, that Justine might be bulimic. She was trying to vomit up her food. And here's this girl coming along trying to just tell her how to do it a little easier, which is like, girl, uh, assumptions, assumptions. I mean, I guess it's easier to assume than, oh, she's vomiting up her own fucking hair. Or maybe that she was sick. Right. Or like maybe something had gone on in veterinary class that day that was a little bit unsettling. There's nothing more humiliating than being sick in a dorm bathroom. (laughs) 
in college. Like, there's nothing more dehumanizing than, like, leaning in front of a toilet and vomiting, knowing that someone's just trying to take a shit next to you or piss, and they're there with you, and they don't want to be, but you have no choice. You have no choice. Justine finds her sister, Alexia, to talk to. She just needs some sister time. So she goes over to Alex's place and they talk some sister stuff, old makeouts. Well, where do we find Alex? Where do we find her? Shoulder deep in a cow's ass. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> oh my God, I totally forgot. Oh my God. All right, okay. So after that, <laughs> they go back to Alex's place. <laughs> they hang out first. Alex tries to teach Justine how to pee standing up. And Justine tries. She can't do it. She just pees all over herself, (laughs) which we were both so impressed. We were like, wait a minute. Is this really a thing the whole time? We could be doing this. We could be doing this. Okay. But I will keep this in mind for the future. (laughs) Maybe if I ever try it, I'll let you know. She eventually makes it to Alex's place. And when she's in the bathroom brushing her teeth, she kind of inspects the medicine cabinet and finds the same cream that she was prescribed for her skin rash in her sister's cabinet. So... I guess Alex dealt with the same thing. And then we get a conversation about a Brazilian wax. Yeah, I forget what the motivation is. Justine didn't have shamed armpits. And her sister was like, what the fuck? And then she said something about when I was your age, I was already getting Brazilians. Justine had never had one. So her sister's like, oh, I'll just give you one right now. Uh Uh-uh. Cube Brazilian wax scene. Beauty is pain. So Justine is, I guess, wearing her underwear and then her sister is trying to wax her bikini line. Yeah. And so the first two strips come off okay, but the third try gets stuck. And Justine obviously is in a lot of pain. This is a very sensitive area. And when her sister tries to bring a pair of scissors to cut the wax away, Justine kicks her sister away in pain Alex falls to the floor and then stands up and the top half of her middle finger had been severed by the scissors in her hand. I guess they must have been some medical grade scissors because I'm like, how the fuck does that even happen? I have no idea. I will say this is probably like one of the only scenes in the movie that I had like a actual problem with. The timing of it, the shots, like it didn't really quite line up. But it happens and it ends up being really important because Alex, of course, seeing her severed finger immediately passes out. Justine calls the police and they tell her to put the finger on ice. And as she tries to go to the freezer to find some, there's none in the ice box. She ends up (laughs) just sitting on the floor and just like a tiny corn on the cob. Eating the finger. Like a wing. Oh my God. And she, at first, she's timid to do so, but then she kind of really digs in. And then Alex wakes up and sees her sister. And we can just see on Alex's face that she sheds a single tear. I don't know what I would do if I woke up, found my sibling eating my finger. I don't think I would react the same way. The next scene, we see the whole family is at the hospital. So mom and dad drove from wherever they were to meet up with Justine and Alex at the hospital. Alex's finger is wrapped, but it turns out her finger couldn't be reattached. Why? Alex tells the family that her dog, Quickie, who was there, ate the finger. She does not spill Justine's secret. But this does result in Quickie needing to be put down, which sucks. We don't let the dog to die. We don't see anything. But it's just like told to us that because Quickie had tasted human flesh, it was too dangerous because he might like it and try it again, mm-hmm. which, hmm, hmm, hmm. 
Later, Alexia takes Justine on a walk together. They're just walking down the street. She ushers Justine over to a little ditch on the side of the road, and they kind of hunker down. Just sister things. Just sister things. A couple cars drive by, but then one is driving, and Alex gets up and jumps in front of the car, and she's off screen. We're watching Justine's face as the car swerves off the road and crashes into a tree. Is this sounding familiar? Oh, man. (laughs) We get a shot of Alex laying in the road, much like whoever that was in the beginning of the movie, perhaps Alex. She stands up. Oh, my God. (laughs) Walks over to the car. There are two passengers inside the vehicle that look to be in very bad shape. She's like, this one's not going to make it. And then we just hear her take a munch out of this guy's brain. Yeah, and Justine tries to stop it. She is like, what the hell is going on? Her sister, which by the way, very different cannibal eating habits than fresh. (laughs) Very different. Steve was so like- Artistic. Artistic, neat, clean, very (laughs) (laughs) well-mannered. Alex and Justine are very messy eaters. Like it looks like they're at a sloppy Joe eating contest. Alex just looks at her sister with like a face full of blood as if to say, do you want any? But Justine leaves. She does not partake in this feasting. Yeah. Alexia says, you need to learn, right? Learn what? (laughs) Learn what? How to kill people? And like, that's my thing too, is like, I want to know what the first responders are thinking when they're finding the aftermath of whatever the fuck Alexia does, because- Oh, okay. His head went through the windshield. There's a lot of blood, but like the bite marks? She's like a serial killer. I know. Like what's missing? Like, is it just one of those things where it's like, oh, you're dead. Don't need to do any further investigate. Like the fact that part of his fucking cerebellum is gone. Or like if she takes from parts of the body that are already injured. Right. Like he already had a bad head wound. Like if she took a couple snacks, (laughs) would you be able to tell that something else had gone on there? I don't know if you would. But that's the thing. Like that's so dangerous too, because she's biting directly from the source. Like your teeth that's how, like, fucking Dahmer got identified, right? I don't, I don't know. It doesn't matter. I don't know, but... They're yeah. not thinking about it. They're, They're not, not thinking, thinking about, about it. it. She seems very confident that she won't get caught. And I will say this road isn't the most private road. Like, just in the time they were in that little gull- gullet? No. What do you call it? Gully? No. <laughs> Ditch. Let's settle there. There were, like, two or three cars that drove by before they selected one. So it's not like it's the most isolated place, but she does not seem scared. But yes, Justine walks away, and the next time we see her, she is gowning up for vet school things. They're going to do some sort of autopsy, I guess. And Adrian arrives late and asks for her help gowning him up, tying the gown around the back of his neck. And she is staring at his neck far too long. She is. She's hungry. She is hungry. (laughs) She is horny. She is all of the H's. And they reveal that they are tearing apart a dog. And I'm like, is this Quickie? It does it looks resemble like quickie. quickie, but I don't think that it is. I guess they're dissecting for class. And Adrian seems a little mystified as to why Justine is dissecting this dog so easily. It looks like she's just cutting up her dinner. She's just doing it. And he almost needs to take a second to be like, oh my God, like this is a little disturbing. And she's mm-hmm. like, mm-mm, mm-mm. This All is in a, a Tuesday. Work. Yeah. <laughs> So where are we? Is this where we're in that room and all the upperclassmen have the painted lab coats on? Yeah. Hazing is still going on. It's a lot of hazing. It's always happening. So Justine is with Adrian and she's still giving eyes to him and even gets a fucking nosebleed. 
yeah, Adrian is shirtless playing soccer and mm, mm-hmm. he's being a bro. Like he scores on somebody and like grabs his dick like through his pants and like kind of like pulls at it, kind of being like, I'm bigger than you, you know, kind of thing. And yeah, she is into it and gets a fucking nosebleed, mm-hmm. a horny nosebleed. She is concentrating really hard. Yeah. So then she has her own moment. She is back in her dorm room. She has on the blue dress that she had borrowed from her sister and she is hyping herself up in the mirror. This we is have, so much. <laughs> we have a wild, a wild French rap song that is playing that makes Megan the Stallion look like a church girl. Oh my like God. this. The words in the song are crazy, very, very sexualized. Justine is feeling herself. She kisses her reflection in the mirror. She practices making out with her reflection in the mirror. She's practicing angles, checking herself out. You can tell that she is really getting in touch with her physicality, femininity, all of that. She walks out to find Adrian and Alexia playing video games together, But then Adrian leaves to go to a party that's happening that night. And then Justine start playing video games and not enough tension to the fact that you just ate your sister's finger like 24 (laughs) hours ago, whatever. And, you know, Alexia lightheartedly like teases her about this. She says, couldn't try something other than my finger. Was it good at least? (laughs) And Justine was like, it tasted like curry. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Okay. (laughs) But then that night... Justine, because I guess it's been a couple days since she's had meat, starts going through a withdrawal. And she is under her sheets, which, by the way, because of the pattern, looks like they have little blood spatter stains on them. They're like flowers, but yeah. yeah. And it looks like somebody is hitting her through her sheets. Like, she really looks like she's trapped under there. Like, she's being hit with a chain or something. Like, that's what the sound design is making it seem like. But when she finally gets out of there, no one is there. And she gets out of bed and walks through the hallway of her dorm building, I guess, super sweaty, super pale. And turns the corner to go into a common room area where she's splattered with a bucket of royal blue paint. I'm guessing this is the party that Adrian was supposed to be going to, but he's not there. I don't know. I guess this is more hazing shit. I'd be fucking pissed if I was just like splattered with blue paint. It's like all over her face. You know, that shit's going to get in like her nostrils, her eyes, her ears. We're talking blue man group blue. It is like get the captain crunch. She's going up and doing a routine. She is thrown into a room with a guy who's covered in yellow and is told, don't come out until you're both green. (laughs) We love color theory. Yeah, they start getting a little hot and heavy. They're making out. We do see some green forming on shoulders, on chests, on necks. And then Justine makes red. Mm. (laughs) We hear a scream as we have the POV shot from the common room and the yellow guy comes out. His face is bleeding. Justine had taken a bite of his lip. He freaks out and everyone is also kind of like, what the fuck? We see Justine in the shower washing off her blue paint. She reaches back into her teeth and lip pocket, pulls out a little piece of lip and snacks on it. You know, it's so funny. 
when I was watching this, I was like, okay, but now that I'm talking about it, it is really weird. <laughs> it is. This is actually kind of hard to talk about. <laughs> wow. Yeah, watching it, we're just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. okay, this is happening. Okay, this is happening. But now we're talking about it, and it's strange. Well, it's also, I kind of like that both <sighs> things that she's eaten so far have a sexual undertone mm. to it, because it's like, obviously, it's a little weird because she ate her sister's finger, but her sister was positioned in between her legs at eye level with her pelvis how do two women have sex everybody yeah (laughs) there's a big there's a lot of answers to that but Uh a middle finger a lot of the times plays a big role in that so she consumes that and then the yellow guy like bites off a part of his lip she was even like biting at his shoulder at one point but then settles on his lower lip so both pieces that she's ingested have been in semi-sexualized scenarios even though there isn't anything between the sisters. It's just the positioning of it and how intimate it was. Very intimate. Wow. Interesting. Okay. After the shower, Justine gets into bed with Adrian. He had been sitting there, I guess, on his laptop and she kind of crawls next to him and puts her head on his chest. He asks her questions about what happened He's very confused. I guess he's trying to make sense of it. He says, I'm trying to figure out how you work. Were you turned on by that? She says no, right? She says, no, I wasn't turned on by that. I think she denies that. Yeah. She's very nonchalant where he's just kind of like, this is weird. Not trying to make it a bigger thing than it is, but he's also smoking weed. So he's a little inebriated. So might just be feeling a little horny. Maybe. Well, she leaves to go to bed, we think, and then he resumes watching porn. So he had been watching porn. He's in the process of masturbating, but then she comes back in his room naked. Is she naked? Yeah. Oh, well, we can see just kind of like the shoulders up and she's no longer wearing a top. And they start making out. I was like, what? Why? Like, I'm just like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? I don't really feel like they have any chemistry. Maybe they're not supposed to. I don't know. Missing lots of turns. Missing lots of turns. Especially on Justine's part. And this was... So hard to watch. It was hard to watch, but it was also very funny. You can tell she keeps trying to bite him. (laughs) She like literally keeps trying to... She's just bobbing and weaving, like trying to bite him as they bang. Because they do bang. He's like grabbing her by her hair. Yeah, to like keep her away. And he won't let her. So she ends up just biting her arm so hard. We can see blood coming from the wound as she climaxes. And she's making like direct eye contact with the camera too, which is, it's so haunting. And even he's like, oh, I shouldn't have fucking done this. What the fuck? Yes, it is so bizarre for so many reasons. So then later, Justine and Adrian are in class they get into a fight. You know, she's trying to talk about it. He's like, Mm-mm, we're not going to do this. That was a mistake, whatever. And she's like, what, you're not even going to talk to me? You're not even going to look at me, blah, blah, blah. And she's like drawing the attention of the entire class at this point. Mm-hmm. And he freaks out. He's like, I'm fucking gay. And then like mm-hmm. throws a chair and walks out. So you could tell that she is being rejected to the utmost degree. At a party that night, she is giving one of her deadpan looks that she does so well. She looks on the dance floor and sees a girl dancing with a guy and the girl uses the tip of her tongue to lick the guy's eyeball. Didn't like this it. is another moment. Wow, it's getting really tough. Okay. <laughs> and she cracks this maniacal smile. She digs that eyeball licking shit. 
So meanwhile at the party, she takes it as her cue to go get an entire cup of vodka. <laughs> this was the worst part of the movie. I'm saying, I'm talking like <laughs> this was like 10 ounces of vodka. Guy goes to give her a shot. And she's like, well, save me the trip. So then he just fills up an entire fucking solo cup of vodka and she's taking big gulps. And I'm like, <gasps> this was the worst part. I know. We watched this together and I was like, Shay and I were... <laughs> Like, tell us why the whole movie we were just taking it in and then the part with the cup of vodka comes up and we had to look away. Yeah, we couldn't do it. We were like, no, no, this is something I can relate to a little bit too hard. Meanwhile, Justine is on the dance floor and she keeps trying to bite people. (laughs) Okay, she's a little bit peckish. She finds a guy and starts making out with him, but then his girlfriend comes up and is like, no, back off, bitch. Yeah, find someone else, bitch. So then Justine takes her turn with her. She gets shoved away. So then Justine kind of (laughs) like meanders away somewhere else. Then Alexia finds her. Yeah. She's like, okay, you've had enough. Let's go. Leads her into the morgue. And Justine is very intoxicated, like crawling at this point. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to Justine sleeping and then waking up, chugging a big thing of water for far too long, which again, very relatable girl. Mm-hmm. She goes to class and everyone's looking at her weird. Yeah. She sits next to this girl and this girl gets up and like moves her seat. So she goes and like leaves class and Adrian corners her, pulls her into a bathroom and shows her a video Ugh. from the night before. And in the video, you see whoever is filming is like panning through the crowd trying to get a better shot. And there's even people being like, guys, don't film this. You know, this is sad. What the fuck? But the camera gets closer and you see that they're in the morgue and Alex is holding out an arm from a dead person in the morgue, which confused. Yes. This is a vet school. Who the fuck is this? But also like, when does rigor mortis set in? I don't think you could just flop a dead guy's arm around for No, long. it would fucking tear off. Like, I'm confused. Like, why? Why? Why is there a dead human in the morgue? I get you put your body over to science, but you're in vet school. Yeah, I don't like, know. I'm confused. But she's, like, wagging this dead guy's body around, and Justine's on all fours and biting at it like a dog. Yeah, it's really sad. And why would Alex do that? Was she drunk too? Like, But that's so malicious. I feel like there's so much about Alex's character that has malicious undertones. There's going to be more that we'll talk about, but I just, I don't understand what her motivation is. Part of me thinks it has to do with how out of control she feels in her own desire that Mm. she almost wants someone to take the attention off her. Like maybe she was the Justine of her class and like she just wants to feel validated that there's somebody with the same level of desperation that she might be feeling. And like... Even when Justine didn't want to eat the rabbit liver and her sister peer pressured her into doing it, only for us to find out later that Alex had the same allergic reaction when she ate the liver based on that cream she had in her cabinet. So it's like, wouldn't you be a little nervous that your sister who shares your DNA might have the same reaction? Like, wouldn't you feel more protective? But she pressured her. She took her to show her how to kill people and eat their brains. And part of me thinks it has to do, like I said at the beginning, with this deprivation sense. Because, Mm. you know, when she said, like, oh, mom's gotten to you, like, their parents are vegetarians and that's how they were raised. And this is almost like going away to college and shedding who your parents raised Mm. you to be. And it makes you rebel so hard in the other direction sometimes. So maybe this is her way of being like, you're free now. This is how it should have been the entire time. But it's so... Depraved. And the next scene is very fucking depraved. Yes. Justine is shocked, heartbroken, angry. 
she finds her sister outside hanging out with a bunch of upperclassmen and starts fighting her, physically brawling. And they're both biting at each other. Alex takes a bite out of Justine's face. There's like a chunk of her cheek missing and it's bleeding. There is a whole crowd watching. Cameras are filming. And then Justine gets a hold on Alex's forearm and vice versa. And they're just biting, 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 biting. I mean, they're kind of at a stalemate right now because they both have a chunk of the other person and they both have to surrender. And then they walk off together And they have a scene that I wrote was very ginger snaps. Like they sit together and Alexia patches up Justine's cheek. It's almost like after Ginger is attacked by the werewolf and like, yes, like it feels very like, yeah, we're in this together type of situation. But Justine breaks apart from her and like leaves her alone and almost locks her in a room, but then decides not to. And she gets into bed with Adrian. The next morning, we kind of get the shot. It looks like maybe it's finally the end of hazing week. There's a lot of people walking in that common area we've seen a bunch of times outside in the movie. And intercut with this is the scene of Justine waking up next to a sleeping Adrian. And she goes to snuggle up against him. And as she runs her hand under the sheets down his thigh, she feels that something is wrong tears back the covers and sees that half of his thigh has been eaten and Adrian is dead. She checks his back and there is a stab wound in his back. So he was killed and then consumed. And she looks in the mirror and like looks to see and her face isn't bloody. But then she walks further into the apartment and finds Alexia in a trance. She's also sitting against the fridge, which I thought was interesting because it's like the parallel of Justine sitting against the fridge, eating the finger for the first Uh. time. But she's playing video games, but there is blood all over her face running down her neck. And she seems to be like lights are on, no one's home, Mm -hmm. like just very like entranced. It is presumed that Alexia killed Adrian and consumed his leg. There's also some good dialogue when Justine thinks it's her. She's yelling at Adrian being like, why didn't you fight back? Hit me. You should have hit me. And again, it's talking about this lack of control she feels that she has over her instincts. And she feels like this monster. So I thought that was interesting because she's in a sense victim blaming him for dying. Because it's like, you should have hit me. You shouldn't have let me do this. Like Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And maybe that's a callback to their initial sex scene where he wouldn't let her, you know, Mm. bite him or something like that. But I thought that was interesting. So then we just get a a shot of Justine leading Alex into the shower, getting in with her and like very maternally cleaning her off, like using her hands to wash the dried blood from her chin and her body. And it's, it's very tender, but also very twisted because of what's just happened. And then we get a time lapse. Yeah, it fades and we are in a prison. A is on one side of the glass looking through to her family sitting on the other side of the glass parents get up to leave i don't know if alexia was like non-responsive because the parents look very like frustrated and maybe they're just upset but then as justine is getting up alexia bangs for justine to come back just her and alexia kisses on the glass to justine's cheek where the bite mark is so you could tell they still have like a fondness Later, we see Justine eating at home with her family. Her mother looks very distraught and says, you know, finish your vegetables and gets up and leaves the table. And the dad goes on to say, this isn't your fault. This isn't Alexia's fault. Alexia got too used to being herself. We didn't find her a solution. 
we get a zoom in on the dad's top lip where we see there's a scar mirroring what Justine had did to that yellow guy at the party. (laughs) And then the dad unbuttons his shirt to reveal that there are so many scars, chunks of his chest missing. And he says, I'm sure you'll find a solution, honey. Oh. So the gene is hereditary and it is a maternal gene. Mm-hmm. And so concludes Raw. <laughs> <laughs> if you're still listening, if you haven't gotten weak in the knees from all of the wild and wild things going on. So yeah, let's talk about it in a little bit more detail. First thing I wanted to say was the names. Just did like a little research here because I was interested in Justine and this director's use of the name Justine. So according to my second favorite website, thebump.com. <laughs> right after catholic.org. Right after catholic.org. The meaning of Justine is just fair and upright. Justine is a girl given name of French and Latin origins, meaning just, right, and fair. Fair in principle as in spirit. This feminine sounding name is a solid yet elegant contender for parents seeking a virtuous title for a baby. Well, they tried. They tried. (laughs) But it is interesting because I feel like Justine's character is battling with that very idea the whole movie. Like what is right? What is just? And, you know, she can't always make the decision or can't, based on what's going on with her craving, make the decision that I think would align with her idea of right and just. The name Alexia I looked up to just because she's Justine's sister means man's defender or helper. Which she really does try to do for her sister until she doesn't. But also I thought it was interesting. Like I was looking at this, like, is this man's defender as in mankind's defender or just like man? Right. Because she's not really a defender at all. She like ate Adrian. In both of these names, there's a sense of irony. So I thought that was interesting to note. And then of course, Adrian, we talked about the name Adrian already in our Invisible Man Yeah, it's like dark or opaque. Also associated with water, right? Which is fluid. And that that made me think of Adrian's sexuality. Mm -hmm. So interesting things going on with names. I don't know if they were deliberate, but I thought worth mentioning. So from the article titled, Nevertheless, She Feasted, Why Girls Get Hungry in Horror Movies, Why Female Coming of Age in Horror Movies Means Getting Hungry by Francesca Pfau. She talks about three movies that we've covered so far on the podcast, Jennifer's Body, Ginger Snaps, and now Raw. So she not only looks at cannibalistic themes in Jennifer's Body and Ginger Snaps and Raw, but she also asks why she loves them so much, which I think is such a good question because, you know, the first level of these things is, okay, first, what is going on? But also, why do I love it? Ginger Snaps and Jennifer's Body are two of my favorites, and I've said that multiple times. So she writes, what the coming-of-age horror movies Ginger Snaps, Jennifer's Body, and Raw have in common is that they use female cannibalism to illustrate a girl's transition into womanhood and what that transition means in a patriarchal society. Fow mentions ethnographer and folklorist Arnold Van Gennep's book, Rites of Passage, which states that rites of passage have three stages, separation, liminality, and incorporation. So I took a little bit from each section, focusing mostly on Raw, to just talk about Justine's journey. So first, separation. Quote, as Van Gennep put it, separation signifies a detachment of the individual or group from an earlier fixed point in the social structure. 
In Ginger Snaps, Jennifer's body, and Raw, separation occurs between the female cannibal and others. In the case of Ginger Snaps and Jennifer's body, the separation is from a female relationship. Ginger Snaps revolves around the sibling relationship of timid Bridget and the more aggressive Ginger. Jennifer's body is similar except that it revolves around a friendship between straight-laced Needy and the sexually assertive Jennifer. Meanwhile, Rawl deals with reserved Justine's parental and interpersonal separation. The outlier of this bunch of boy-eating ladies is Raw, which starts with the separation of Justine from her father and mother as they drop her off at veterinary school. She's then thrust into various rituals of initiation. Despite the fact that we know Justine's sister, Alexia, is meant to help her move in, we don't see Alexia with Justine right away. Whereas Ginger has her sister immediately and Needy is depicted with Jennifer, Justine gets a lot of solo screen separation early on. The preoccupation instead is that of the ritualistic hazing of Justine and her newbie classmates that takes place. She's awoken in the middle of the night to have her room tossed, her bed thrown out the window, and made to party in her PJs. Raw's rituals are tactile and as visceral as its violence. Raw's focus on ritualism that is done to everyone makes Justine's reactions sit in contrast. Everyone eats rabbit liver, but only Justine and her sister become cannibals. Everyone has sex, but only Justine wants to take more than a playful bite out of her partner. The idea that puberty is a singular and unprecedented experience unique to the teenager is a core source of teenage anxiety. Justine's cannibalism is the classic, my body is hideous and changing in a way that no one else's is, assertion pushed to its cannibalistic extreme. Tying Justine's cannibalistic coming of age to ritual is a further way to highlight that her cannibalism is intrinsic to her womanhood, a point the film underlines clearly at its conclusion. And we were talking about this yesterday about how we didn't consider Jennifer's Body or Ginger Snaps to be cannibalism movies because they mark a transition to a different kind of monster in which consumption is within its nature. So obviously Ginger is becoming a werewolf, which is a non-human entity. And I guess a succubus is human still or humanoid to a degree, but it still serves a distinction that is supernatural because Jennifer has all of these abilities. She can float, she can like yeah. disappear, she can run really fast. So <laughs> we don't see Justine having this same level of elevated anything mm-hmm. except her confidence, except her sexuality. You know, when we see her trying to bite people at that party and like <laughs> being very sexually aggressive, going after, you know, somebody with a girlfriend and then the girlfriend, mm-hmm. you know, we don't really see any level of extraness except for her things that denote a rise in sexuality or womanhood. So that is interesting. I also think the comment about adolescent anxiety is really on point. Because everyone goes through puberty, you know, and part of that journey is dealing with thoughts and feelings that you have to navigate for the first time. And it does feel like you're the only one experiencing this change or this feeling or this sensation, and it feels really isolating. And so the idea that Justine's cannibalism is kind of a symbol for what she feels is only she herself is experiencing and what is isolating her from her peers, I think is a really compelling argument. Because I don't know. I mean, it can't just be her and her sister. How many classes of people have gone through this school? There could be other cannibals out there. Yeah. And it also ties to that lack of conversation around those burgeoning things that tends to happen, like especially during this movie isn't focused on puberty, but especially in the case of Ginger Snaps. 
you know, I always think of that scene with the nurse where it's like, I have hair where I don't, you know, yes. where I normally don't have hair and I'm yes. feeling all of these things. And she's like, oh, like everyone has that. And it's supposed to be this affirming thing, but it still serves to isolate her further. Right. It's the lack of conversation around sexuality and sexual appetite. Like we really don't see Justine forging any meaningful women relationships mm-hmm. in her life. And maybe she tries to relate to Adrian in that way, being that he also has sexual appetites for men, but we don't really see any commiserating over that Mm. at all. Like, when you're experiencing desire for the first time, you don't know how to talk about it without being embarrassed because you have to assume that no one else is feeling desire like you are. Maybe, like, that is why Alexia kills him. Because, like, Alexia, we had only seen her going after strangers. Right. Why Adrian? Was it because he had the potential to actually bond with Justine? He didn't seem as afraid of her as he seemed curious. And we know that Justine and Alexia's father fell in love with their mother and made it work with her. Like, there are men out there who might be interested in having a relationship with her for who she is. And maybe Alexia did not want that. Maybe she's giving... I don't know, ginger energy. She wants to keep her sister for herself. And Jennifer energy with yes, Chip. Yes. Whoa. That's, yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Mm, that's really good. That's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah, it's kind of like we're getting the flip observation because with Jennifer's body and ginger snaps, I mean, just read the titles. The movie's about that sister. This movie is more from the perspective of the younger, a little bit more demure, straight-laced sister. Mm, you're right. This is the needy and the Bridget. Mm-hmm. So the next category is liminality, which is more transitional, like what is going on during this transition. In these films, it's not just sex these women crave, it's autonomy. Autonomy is a universal desire for teenagers in cinema. What cannibalism does in these films is connected to sexuality, cannibalism, and risky behavior with autonomy and power. Justine's sexual awakening coincides with her cannibalistic preoccupations, but the focus of the film is more her reaction to that hunger. She never completely embraces it for fear that it could destroy her, a fact her sister proves at the conclusion of the film. This does not mean that Justine doesn't begin to be sexually aggressive. She aggressively kisses numerous strangers, and she has sex with her roommate. Justine's cannibalistic awakening is not as sexually explosive as Jennifer and Ginger's. It's more quiet and slow. Justine's sexual journey is one of slow discovery. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like you do see a point of progression where she bites off Yellow Guy's lip, but then she's ready and knows that she wants to bite Adrian, even though Adrian won't let her. We do kind of see a ramp up where it doesn't go like a ginger 180 where she has no experience, but then she's fucking Jason in the backseat of a car, yeah. like the next scene, right? Mm-hmm. It's not hypersexualization. Like she is still burgeoning, but the elevation is coinciding with the progression of the other part of her. Yeah. And going off of what you said earlier about the physical changes that Jennifer and Ginger go through, like Jennifer and Ginger can afford to be more physically forward because they have this super strength now. They have these elevated senses now. They don't need to be as physically intimidated by men. But Justine is still the same physically as she was with the exception of, you know, her withdrawal and her cravings. She can't be too aggressive with a man like she could get herself hurt or, you know, she's still a part of this patriarchal society. She's just is dealing with these strange cravings now. You know, I was trying to think about like, she doesn't go after a woman after eating her sister's finger again. 
Like, her appetites are sexually motivated because she goes after mostly men. She gets to the point where it's not all about opportunity, but it's about who do I want? Mm. Where Jennifer does a little bit of both, right? She does, this is who's available to me. I'm going to go after Jonas or I'm going to go after Colin. But then she chooses Chip out of, you know, needy motivation. Yeah. And Ginger, too, like... I feel like Ginger and Bridget's relationship mirrors Alexia and Justine's in that way because you have that scene in Ginger Snaps where they're in the hallway after she kills the janitor and she's like, it's almost like we're not even related anymore. Mm. But we know that it has sexual undertones because Bridget had asked if she was going to eat that bully that they kill in their kitchen, Trish. And she's like, (laughs) no, that'd be like fucking her. Oh my gosh, that line. So it's like she eats her sister's finger and they're still bonded in this way. And you see, yeah, Alexia's tail spinning with that jealousy, even though we don't really right. see evidence of it, but they still have that connectivity. Even if we're thinking about some of that stuff I read last week with Fresh, where it's like, you and me become you, me, because yes. they're bonded and it's love, it's surrender. Mm-hmm. After Justine eats that finger, like it is a noted turning point for the sisters. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the final part of this developmental arc is incorporation. Raw has its own kind of reintegration, only it's tangentially ingrained in sisterhood. Justine at the end of Raw is literally reincorporated into her own family unit. Her reincorporation comes after the murder and consumption of her roommate by Alexia. Justine is shown washing the blood from her and her sister. We then see Justine visiting her sister in prison with her family. Finally, Justine's dad lets it be known that the business of boy eating is a familial trait. Justine and Alexia's mother also suffers from the same hunger as her daughters. Like original sin, it is a mark passed from mother to daughter. Oh, fuck. Like original sin. Christianity. For Raw, Justine's sexual and cannibalistic appetite is in line with the film's larger commentary on how women relate to food in light of sexist beauty standards. I think of that bathroom scene after Justine coughs up all the hair. When her fellow classmate tells her to use two fingers to puke faster, that classmate looks so proud of herself. She beams as if the secret of womanhood is to suffer conformity efficiently. There is no perfect solution to Justine's predicament. There is no roadmap to follow. Living under the patriarchy comes with no roadmap. In these films, reincorporation is damn near impossible. Freedom has been tasted and it can never be forgotten. Yeah, because Jennifer and Ginger die at the end of their movies. Yeah. So it's like, once you have this taste, you can't go back to the road that got you there. Like you burned your bridges along the way once you kind of realize that this freedom has a cost and you bought it. Mm Mm-hmm. But you don't have anything left after that. Where you see Justine and Alexia's mother who, again, like volleyed back from one extreme to the other where it's like, we're going to be vegetarians and we're going to abstain and we're going to be puritanical about this because we've sinned and we're going to atone and we're going to do all these types of things and we're going to raise our daughters so that they never know this, that, and the other thing, only to have it go back into such like an unbalanceable direction. It's giving the musical Spring Awakening which is not a musical I've ever seen or am very familiar with, but I know that it's about a town, I want to say in Germany or some European small town where they uphold really rigid ideals about sex and sexuality. And so none of the parents tell their kids about sex. However, as the kids go through puberty, they start having sex and no one really knows what happens. So there are kids that die 
because I, th- I think there might be a botched abortion in there. I know there's a lot of confusion. It's heartbreaking. But because they are not educated, they enter into the arena of puberty and adulthood without the tools to navigate it. And they make mistakes because how are they supposed to know otherwise? And it makes me think of these two sisters. What would their lives have looked like if they knew maybe why they were abstaining from meat, or if they knew other things about their family history, right? It feels like they were denied that knowledge and then ended up paying the price. I'm thinking specifically of Alexia, who is in prison. It's like, would it have looked different for them? Like, it reminds me what you said about Bobby in The Hills Have Eyes, where he thinks he's doing a good thing by not Mm. telling his family about the threat in The Hills, but instead he's taking away their choice for their family to make their own choices on how they want to go about it until they are attacked and they just have to react. Yeah. And Justine is just reacting. Yeah. Her body is reacting to wanting to do what it naturally wants to do. And she probably would never think that her parents know exactly what's going on. Right. It feeds into that theme of isolation. Like, she doesn't know that there's family line of this. She doesn't know that she has somebody that she could call on phone right now and ask about right. it. Right? She thinks that this is it, and she has to deal with this by herself. I mean, it's in the same way that, like, people don't like talking to their parents about sex, even though, obviously, they've had fucking sex because you're there. <laughs> you're there. But it's still that idea of... They would never understand. My journey of this is not going to be something that you can speak to. Especially if we're assuming that the hazing ritual has been something that's occurred year after year after year after year. Yes! Was it almost like they knew that this was going to happen and that this was going to be like her initiation into the truth about the family? Yeah, what were they thinking? Like knowing that she was going to go through the exact same program with the exact same tradition and they're not... It's like knowing your kid's going to go through puberty and still withholding that information. They knew she was going to go through this ritual, this rite of passage at this university, and they still weren't going to let her know. It's like how they're on the campus and they can't wait to get off the campus again. Mm. Like they just drop her off and they drive away (laughs) right away because the mom is like, I can't be here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So finally, Fao just has a concluding paragraph about, again, that idea why she loves these movies. She writes, at the heart of these cannibalistic films are a group of girls in the process of becoming women. Womanhood is a challenge each character has to meet head on. Those characters never achieve pure actualization. They all suffer in some way for their liminality. I'm among the many that feel that salacious joy from seeing women-driven horror, where women don't just receive violence, they partake in violence. Further, I've always been more than happy when horror takes on societal issues in bold and inventive ways. It's one of the reasons all these films appeal to me. They didn't do things to undermine their female characters. They grounded themselves in their female characters. These stories of monstrosity are symbolic of the larger ills of the society in which all young girls grow into women. That is why I love them. Yeah, and I think it shows the ugly side of becoming a woman. Thinking back to like our prom night episode, it's supposed to be this like unveiling, Mm. this debut, this ascension into womanhood from girlhood, where this is like, now this is a fucking underworld initiation you're going to go through and you got to go through this. You're fighting tooth and and nail, right? Like it's not just like, oh, the sun rises one morning and there are birds singing to you and you're so lovely. You're fucking like down in the trenches. No, you're hungry and you're horny (laughs) and you're you're hairy. It's all, it's all like ugly and weird and Mm -hmm. and it feels so gross. And you're figuring it out. It feels like you're figuring it out by yourself. Mm hmm. Wow. I love this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. This was, 
I love it. Yes. I'm glad I watched this movie. I, I'm glad we got to talk about it. And Cannibal Power Hour was so much fun. I would really like to do maybe one day another Cannibal Power Hour. Because I mean, by the look of things, there are so many movies out there. And it seems like maybe there's going to be even more very soon. Yeah, for sure. I don't think it's going to stop coming. And I think this was so appropriate to be our 50th episode. It's such an iconic coming of age film. <laughs> yeah, coming of age. You're so right. Our, our ascension. Our ascension. <laughs> so gone are the days of us riffing before the episode. Like people care. <laughs> We've shed our weird transitionary bits. And now we have a formula that works, everybody. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. It is awesome. We hope that you enjoy the podcast and are given things to think about. I think these conversations are incredible and I have learned so much and I, I can't wait to keep learning stuff because horror is, wow, it has the perfect formula for making you think about things in ways you might never have without this medium. So like we mentioned, we're going to do a palate cleanser next week. It's going to be a different palate cleanser <laughs> than we thought it was going to be. This poor 90s movie just keeps getting pushed and pushed, but we're going to revisit her in November, we promise. <laughs> but stay tuned for that. There will be updates, as usual, on our Instagram page, at The Horrors Podcast. And you can also reach us, if you want to, at The Horrors Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye! Bye! Bye.